Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Hi. I'm Cindy Perlin, and I'm going to be guest hosting Phoenice Edwards today because she was unable to be here. And um, I have a guest, Susan Antellis. We're going to be talking about medicine's best-kept secret, biofeedback and neurofeedback for chronic pain. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a board-certified biofeedback practitioner, a chronic pain survivor, and the author of The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, the best and worst strategies for becoming pain-free. And I have a private practice in upstate New York uh, where I've been helping people with chronic pain and other physical and emotional challenges for 25 years. My latest project is an alternative pain treatment directory, which you can find online at www.paintreatmentdirectory.com. And my guest today is Susan Antellis. She's a licensed mental health counselor, a certified biofeedback and neurofeedback practitioner, and a creative arts therapist. She's the former president of the Northeast Biofeedback Society, and she's currently the clinical director of Network Biofeedback Services of Long Island in Manhattan. Hi, Susan. Hi, Cindy. So glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. So you and I have a lot in common, and one of the things that we have in common is that we both became biofeedback therapists because of our own personal experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about your own uh, history with that? So when I turned 13, um, the time of hormonal changes, I developed a severe chronic pain syndrome called migraine headache. As a result of that, I also had psychological pain related to it, anxiety and so forth. And I don't know, in those days, maybe they thought children didn't feel pain, but they would give us baby aspirin for that pain, which hardly touched it, of course. So, unfortunately, I had to suffer with that until I was in my mid-twenties when a very astute therapist that I met sent me for biofeedback. It was only had only been around for about 10 years, and um, we did not have computers then. So, it was standalone equipment with lights and sounds, and off I went into the city to do biofeedback for that chronic pain condition. And after suffering for about 13 years, I went for 10 months, once a week, for this training. And my symptoms were almost entirely in remission at the end of that period of time, which to me was a miracle. And at that point, it occurred to me that I needed to learn how to administer biofeedback for other people suffering with pain conditions as I had to pay it forward. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And um, I would not say that I'm cured. I would say that if 
I behave and I take care of myself. I do good self-care and stay aware of my stress-responding patterns that this symptom does stay in remission. I call it my sleeping dragon. I try not to wake it up. (laughs) So can you talk about the kind of biofeedback that you did back then and how it's different now? and um, how you would treat somebody with migraine headaches these days? It is quite different, Cindy, actually. And as I said, we did not have computers then. We did um, muscle tension, relaxation, biofeedback training with EMG units that would give you a sound or light when you would be relaxed. And we did hand temperature training. So in those days, it was thought that that pain condition was related um, primarily to vascular or blood flow. Now we know that it is really a neurological condition that affects blood flow in a way and that we can directly treat this pain condition with a type of um, neurotherapy or neurofeedback, and you can get results faster than 10 months in many cases. um can you explain a little bit, because, you know, I call uh, biofeedback um, medicine's best kept secret because so little people know anything about it. So can you explain a little bit about how it works, what we're talking about when we say biofeedback or neurofeedback? Right. So the best thing about this modality is that it doesn't do anything to you. It measures what you're doing. So I would sit in a comfortable chair. I might have a sensor placed on my finger that would measure my temperature of my hand, sensors on my um, shoulder or forehead that might measure muscle tension, and neurofeedback, which is a type of biofeedback that measures and trains brain activity or brain waves. I might have a sensor on my head, on the top of my head, on my ears, like that. And what happens is the information is then transferred through software platforms because now we have computers. Yay. It makes it a lot easier and more engaging and more fun, and we can use various types of feedback. So we create a feedback loop where the the, um, psychophysiology or the way my body is behaving in that moment is measured in real time, and then I get to see on a computer screen exactly what's going on. I can see a clinical screen where I can actually see my muscle tension represented by a line going down. That would be a very simple screen. Or I could have some more engaging screen where the sun rises over a beautiful lake as my hands get warm. (laughs) So I am affecting this change and I am being shown it externally. So that's the feedback loop. Biology is measured and then fed back information goes through the computer screen. So that's the loop right there. And then that information teaches me, both consciously and unconsciously, that I can do something differently. And that's how we begin to break the pain cycle, by realizing that we have that power and that this is a method of of accessing it. Yeah, and I would second that because I think, you know, I I did biofeedback for a chronic back pain problem that was disabling. And as soon as I learned that there was something that I could do to control the situation, about half of my pain went away almost immediately just because 
I felt empowered. I didn't feel out of control. And a lot of the fear about the pain went away. So that that's a very powerful component, I think, of biofeedback. Yeah, it's a great burden to feel that you have no control over something that's happening in your own body. Yeah, and I think that that's the way most people feel with our current medical system, that we have no control, that the doctor, we have to rely on the doctor to fix it. And when the doctor can fix it, which is true a lot of the time, then um, we add a lot of fear and uncertainty to our burden, and that makes us feel worse. So, right, um, and, yeah. No, go ahead. Right, and, and it, it is important um, to, you know, to educate the public who then actually educates their own doctors about these things. Many times the doctors don't even know about it, and then the clients or the patients will tell their doctor, oh, I found biofeedback and it's really helping me, and then the doctor says, oh, really, okay, <laughs> let's see what this is. <laughs> <laughs> they don't learn it in medical school. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there were surveys done of medical schools fairly recently that found that the average amount of time devoted to education about pain in medical schools was uh, less than two hours. Oh, my goodness. So that includes anything, using pharmacological treatments to um, treat it, diagnosing it, um alternative treatments, all of that, you know, what they got of it was within two hours or less. So we can't depend on our doctors to know anything about pain. Mm-hmm. So um, what um, what is your success rate these days in helping people with migraine headaches? About what percentage of the people would you say go into remission, get much better? Um. 75% to 80%, I would say. Um, there is a percentage, a small percentage of people who have complicating factors to the migraine syndrome that make it difficult to treat um, just with biofeedback. But a lot of the clients, the patients, they are also being seen, you know, doing multimodal treatment. And I think that motivation of the person in terms of that they show up, that they make a commitment to doing this, because this is not easy like taking a pill. They have to come. They have to change their schedule. It costs money. Um, so, you know, the, the motivation is, is very important, as well as the type of headache, I believe, and also sometimes the, the team approach, you know, what, what else are they doing? Um, mm-hmm. Because nutrition plays a role in, in migraine headache and lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your own practice, what else uh, do you combine with biofeedback in terms of treating migraine? So um, we actually were affiliated with a headache center in Manhattan for a while, and now we have our our own place there, and we're doing additional uh, interventions. So we will do mindfulness training. We will do meditation, guided meditation training. We teach people how to use phone apps so that they can practice when they're not with us. Um, We find that that helps extend the training and perhaps shorten the treatment if they're working at home with an app, and many of these apps are free, so that's good, and they're accessible. We also, um, in, tra- in cases of trauma, where there's um, 
you know, more layers of um, stress, we actually have employed EMDR. So we're combining that in as well and psychotherapy because in terms of migraine headache, I know that part of my identity as a person was I was a migraine headache sufferer. (laughs) That's not exactly the look I'm going for as what my identity is. So um, when I went into remission from the symptom, I actually had to have a different identity and you know, when you're no longer a pain patient, it, it could be a bit disconcerting, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. it's good to have a therapist to help you to welcome yourself back home and to, you know, reinvent yourself in terms of who you see yourself as and who others see you as. Because now you're not complaining to your family and friends anymore. You're very different. Yeah, but isn't it a wonderful challenge to have to no longer <laughs> be a pain patient? Yes, it is, and, and that's where I think the psychotherapy is very important for the support and the validation and the transition from being a pain patient to being a regular uh, citizen of the planet. So can you talk a little bit about some other pain conditions that you work with with biofeedback and neurofeedback and, and what your success rate has been with those or what successes you've had? So you mentioned your own um, syndrome of the back pain. We have also worked with people with back pain. And, um, again, it depends on the type of back pain and um, the motivation and, you know, the, the person actually coming for the session. So we are pretty successful when we have those ingredients in, in, in the treatment plan. Um, so that's back pain. Um, We also have um, people with just trauma issues where they they might have autoimmune disorders. And those are very, very difficult um, because the pain comes and goes in certain types of autoimmune disorders. It comes and goes in different parts of the body. So um, it becomes Uh, almost like a hide-and-seek game sometimes, like, where is it going to show up this time? So what we try to do with cases like that is really work with the neurofeedback to help them calm the brain and work with calming the limbic system, the part of us that gets easily excited or triggered when we do not feel safe. And the, the psychological piece is very important, I believe, in those types of cases as well. Yeah, there's uh, there have been studies, particularly the um, adverse childhood experiences study or ACE study, where they show that there was a connection between having a lot of trauma and having a chronic illness, developing a chronic illness over time. So yes, I believe is, that yes, yes, the comorbidity of physical illness with psychological abuse and physical abuse is very high. Yeah, and, you know, there's that whole uh, fight-or-flight response um, that affects the body and, and makes changes in the physiology that, if chronic, can can maintain the pain or create the pain. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I think that that's where the alternative modalities are very helpful in terms of awareness, mindfulness, meditation, because, and also some cognitive behavioral therapy is also useful in terms of helping people structure the way they deal with pain and themselves. 
um, and to not see the pain as who they are or part of them, but it's something that's visiting them that they they have to uh, understand is not a welcome visitor. So yeah. techniques like having a passive attitude toward your own feelings and thoughts is helpful, and that's part of the meditation regime as well. Um, I just want to get back to the migraine um, issue for a moment because there is a new technology called passive infrared hemoencephalography, P-I-R-A-T-G, which is a type of biofeedback that actually measures the metabolic activity in the prefrontal cortex where the pathways that trigger migraine live. And there's a wonderful study called um, StopMyMigraines.com by Dr. Jeff Carmen that had 100 participants. It was replicated at least once. And I use that a lot with my migraine patients because it actually helps to bring more blood flow and oxygen to the part of the brain that is is not functioning functioning optimally and new new neural pathways that actually can grow because of that innervation, because of that nutrition with the, the blood flow and the oxygen, and then we can train those pathways uh, you know, to be in a more normal pattern to prevent migraine headaches. So I wanted to mention that. I, I believe I didn't get to before. Yeah, I've also used that technology with migraines and found that it's very helpful. And um, it tends to be you don't need to do it as intensively, as frequently as nerve feedback. That's generally right. once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And how how many sessions are you finding that 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 takes to resolve a migraine? What's the range that you see? Well, seen? again, yeah, it, it depends on how long the patient has um, endured migraines and how severe they are and what the complicating factors are. But I find that anywhere between 6 and 20 sessions, you really begin to see results. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. people need a little more or a different type of uh, neurofeedback after that. But that is an incredible starting point for most um, headache people. And yeah. also it was developed for pregnant women who had migraines who could not take medication. Right. You know, I've I've noticed, you know, from what I've read, that the idea of not giving pregnant women medication has shifted and more and more pregnant women are now on medication without realizing the dangers of it. I think I read that 14% of pregnant women were on opioids during oh pregnancy. Gosh. You That's know, which terrifying. means that their babies can be born addicted to opioids, which may That's have really lifelong scary. implications. And Very many scary. many pregnant women are on antidepressants, which some studies have shown um increases the chances of their babies developing autism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, medicine has kind of been ignoring the risks of drugs during pregnancy, but it is um, very critical to be mindful of that and to not use medication if there are other alternatives. And one of those other alternatives is biofeedback. So I, Absolutely. I, I, so... With the uh, hemoencephalograph, um, have you used that for other chronic pain conditions? Well, if you would 
think of attention deficit disorders as a type of emotional and psychological and neurological chronic pain? The answer is yes. <laughs> the emotional pain of ADHD. Yes, because these children and, and adults as well have taken a big hit to their self-esteem and um, mm, their ability to have productive social and work lives and school lives. And to me, that's a form of chronic pain. And this particular um, modality of, of biofeedback just happens to be working on the executive function area of the brain, which helps you to be able to sit and attend and listen and have a more stable mood and better organization and planning abilities. So we have found from using it with migraines that it helps the people with the headaches get more organized. So we started using it with the um, people with ADHD and um the first thing we noticed with them is that they initiate homework and they complain less about um, their lives. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say that helps alleviate a different type of pain. Right, because there's emotional pain and there's physical pain, and, you know, for many people, they are related. Now, some, oh, yeah, some, yeah. People, some people say um, that the conditions that they have run in the family and, you know, they're inherited or they're genetic and so they feel much more hopeless about their situation because of that. And I know uh, there was an element of that in your family um, So, and you didn't want to see it go on to the next generation. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. In fact, that was one of my main motivating factors. I was a woman on a mission. I definitely wanted a family. Um, migraine headache does run in my family. My mother had it for sure and one of my grandmothers. And I was not planning to take any medication during pregnancy. Even if I felt like I was going to die, I was not taking anything. So it was really important to me to be medication-free during pregnancy. And so I could not ha afford to have headaches because... Um, they're very painful. And I was very concerned about passing it down to my children. And I happen to have two daughters. <laughs> and this is more genetically prominent in women and in my family in women. So both of my daughters, when they hit puberty, did start to get sick. However, they had both been hooked up to biofeedback since they were three years old. Neither one of them maintained that symptom. And they're both... Um, highly functioning, do not have migraine headaches, and they're all, they're both around 30-ish. So we're good. It works. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I broke the pattern and stopped this horrible legacy from continuing. And both of them actually used biofeedback. One of them became an EMT and taught her, her group how to, how to do basic biofeedback. And my other daughter, who's a physician, is planning on using it in her practice as well. Oh, that's great. So the daughter who's an EMT, she actually uses it um, on the scene and in the ambulance with people? Well, she, she... she did when she was an EMT. She's now um, a, a college professor. <laughs> oh, and, okay. She, she, well, you know, that's very... such an interesting idea, though, because when people are having a medical emergency, their fear and even panic about the situation 
complicates things and makes the situation more dangerous. I mean, just think about someone having a heart attack who's putting the additional strain on themselves of fear about dying or whatever exactly. fear that they're having at the moment. If you can right. teach them how to calm down in the moment, that's going to really help. I don't know that there's ever been any studies of survival rates um, using that kind of an intervention and if it makes a difference, but I would think that it, it would. Right. Well, the, the people in her cohort were were very uh, open to learning about it to use with the, you know, the patients and everything. But as a professor, she, I believe she's using it with her classes for test anxiety. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, having the skills that you learn in biofeedback um, going through the rest of your life, because I went for biofeedback when I was 28, and I'm 65 now. And I have used it lifelong um, to to deal with so many challenges. It's been so helpful knowing how to stay calm or knowing how to get calm when you're not calm. Uh, it's right. such and an important I, skill to have. I agree. I think it's a life skill. I believe it should be taught as early as kindergarten or preschool. I have actually gone into preschools and kindergartens and sat on the floor with these little kids and taught them breathing and the basics about biofeedback and giving them the stickers that turn colors when your hands are warm. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, I had a client once who came in for high blood pressure. She was terrified because her father had died of a stroke when he was 50, and she was 50. And she was a kindergarten teacher, and she taught her kindergarten class to meditate. And I was just so thrilled because, you know, the work was spreading out. <laughs> So, you know, I like to say that the um, the side effects of biofeedback are increased emotional and physical well-being, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's completely safe. And usually, I don't know what your experience is, but usually the people who come to me looking for biofeedback treatment have tried and failed at everything else. And yes, we're getting them at the end there. of the road. Mm-hmm. Do you find that also? Absolutely. Um, which puts, like, you know, a little bit more pressure on us. But because, as you, it's changed my life so much and my children that I totally believe in it, and they pick that passion up, and they all leave with at least some hope that if they're not at least going to be cured, at least they can have some control over the severity, uh, duration, and frequency of their symptoms. Yeah, you know, I I would like to see the day when people are referred first for biofeedback. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the other day I had a referral. I think it was the first for me in 25 years of practice. I had a referral from the emergency room at the local uh, hospital, and it was somebody who they'd run out of options for. She had Mm -hmm. GI problems, and it was the end of the road. They had nothing else to offer her. And um, it turned out that there were, you know, when I met with her, there were so many um, emotional things going on with her that she needed help with that nobody had picked up on uh, in the beginning. And, you know, the thing about chronic pain is that if you didn't have a lot of stress before or you didn't have any emotional issues before, 
once you're in chronic pain for a while, you're going to have them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have losses associated with it, losses of, you know, being able to do things that you love to do, maybe career, maybe relationships. Um, it's going to alter your life a lot. And that complicates the pain picture, which I think is why there should always be a mind-body component of chronic pain treatment. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, I had a client with tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ears. And what I found with that pain syndrome is it's definitely life-altering. It alters where you go, what you do, how you feel. It's just with you all the time. And, um, you know, the traditional techniques for tinnitus management have not been very successful with a lot of people, and there are some neurofeedback protocols that I have found to be very successful, especially with short-term tinnitus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more complicated if it's been a very long time, but with the short-term tinnitus, for example, this person was standing at a regatta boat race and a gun was shot near her head and that's how her tinnitus developed. So I met her a couple of weeks later and within about two, three weeks, it was resolved with the neurofeedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you would think with something like that there'd be something physical going on, some physical damage. But, you know, the the interesting thing is that if you're stressed, you don't physically heal as well because one exactly. of the components of the stress response is to put maintenance and repair of the body on hold uh, because your brain thinks you're in a life-threatening situation where you need to get away right away and you don't need to think about things that are more long-term. Um, I like to think of it as, you know, if you're uh, being... Uh, chased by a tiger and you stop to digest, you get digested. (laughs) That's a good way to put that one. Yeah, so, you know, digestion, immune system response, uh, maintenance and repair of the body, all those things get put on, um, on hold. And then, you know, you have heightened muscle tension, heightened respiration rate, heightened blood pressure and heart rate. Um, changes in blood flow so that your extremities don't get nourished. Um, so if those become chronic because you're chronically stressed, then you don't heal as well. So, you know, knowing how to unstress yourself works really well and is really helpful. And I don't think there's any better technology than biofeedback to do that. Well, I, you know, some people think they're doing it, but when we they come in and we hook them up to the sensors and we look at the feedback, they're not doing it. They just think they're doing it because they have a high baseline. <laughs> but right. in terms of what the normative baseline is, they're not doing it. Right. So I get people who've been meditating for years, but when I measure their physiology when they meditate, they're not relaxed at all. Right, and I remember being, I was doing transcendental meditation when I learned biofeedback, and my trainer had me do some TM while I was hooked up, and it didn't relax me at all. I mean, mentally I felt a bit better, but I realized that before you can transcend, you really need to be on the planet. (laughs) 
And yeah. a ground, you know, a grounding meditation such as including passive progressive relaxation and hand warming and passive attitude to disturbing sensations and thoughts, that's a much more grounding type of meditation and transcendental meditation, which does help with other things, but it did not help with migraine headaches. Right. You know, there's a saying in biofeedback that the body doesn't lie. So not that people intentionally lie to themselves, but they think they are relaxing because they're so used to being stressed. And, um, you know, and then they're not relaxing. I had one uh, woman come in, and she had been in a car accident, and she was having terrible um, neck and shoulder and upper back pain, and she's meditating three hours a day. And this is kind of early in my career, and when she called me and told me this, I'm thinking, well, what do I have to offer her if she's already doing a lot of relaxation techniques like meditation? But when she came in and I measured measured her muscle tension with EMG biofeedback, I found that the longer she meditated, the more tense her shoulder muscles became. So when I brought that to her attention and we worked with it and she became more aware of it, then her meditation practice was more helpful. Yes, so, I've seen that with people too. You've had that experience too? Yes. Yeah, so I think that um, it's very important to have the feedback and it definitely uh, speeds up learning. Um, I know that um, it's been compared to if you're learning to play darts, and you're trying to hit the target with a dart, and you throw it, and you can see where it lands um, on the target. You know, if it's off the target, didn't even hit the target, is way away from the bullseye, but on the target, you see the results of your efforts. And then the next time you throw a dart, you try something a little different and see if that works better. And because you can see the results of what you're doing, you learn by doing. But if you were to try to learn to play darts with a blindfold on and you couldn't see whether or not you were hitting the target, you couldn't learn. So learning to relax with biofeedback is like, you know, taking the blindfold off if you've been trying to learn to play darts with a blindfold on. Great. And I think that speaks to the level of frustration that most of the clients who come to us feel. They feel like they've had a blinder on. Yeah. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know what they've been doing. They don't know what anybody else has been doing because nothing has worked. Right. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming to us. <laughs> right. You know, and I think the fallacy in medication, I mean, medication is the first thing most doctors do when when a patient comes to them with a problem. And the thing about medication is it numbs the problem, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Like a Band-Aid. You know? Right. It's a Band-Aid, and, you know, um, it it just doesn't work, and people tend to get worse over time unless they figure out what's causing the problem and they address it. We like so, to look at that as instead of putting the fires out, find the matches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's also been um, some research coming out over the last few years 
about changes in the brain from chronic pain, that if you've been in chronic pain for a while, it actually alters your brain activity so that your brain is changed and you have this oversensitization to pain signals, and that is very hard to undo. But neurofeedback practitioners are starting to work with that with neurofeedback. So have you uh, been working with that in your practice? Yes. We find that the right side of the brain and the back of the brain tend to be overly sensitive and and wired, and the activity of certain of the waves is way too much. And on the left side, that would be anxiety, and kind of more towards the left side of the brain, we find that a lot of the activity is too low, so that would be more like a depressed affect. And sometimes the anxiety from having the pain syndrome is so high that the brain actually shuts down and looks like it's depressed in order to recover from the fatigue from all that anxiety and all the hormonal activities related to anxiety. So we would train the brain to relax on the right side and the back and to wake up a bit in the end um, on, on the left, but first train to relax so that when we wake it up, it doesn't have to go back to sleep. So can you explain how that works, like how people get the feedback and and uh, so, when you're doing neurofeedback? It's a little different than the, the muscle biofeedback and the hand temperature biofeedback. Yes. It, it's, again, still a form of, of uh, biofeedback because it's training physiology, but... Um, this way, the sensors are placed on spots on the head that correspond to uh, something called the 1020 International Placement Map. And what we what we know about the sites on the brain is that each site is responsible for different groups of functioning. And when we do um, a protocol in my practices on, on Long Island and in Manhattan, what we do is generally we'll do a brain map. So we'll see exactly where a person's brain is different from the normative database that's normed for gender and age. So where are they off compared to their their uh, their database group? And then we'll be able to uh, put that together with their subjective report of what's happening and you know uh, their in- intake information and, and make a more elegant plan for them based on not just Um, subjective report, but on the objective data from their actual brain as compared to normative databases. And then they'll have a sensor or two sensors or more on different of those particular sites. And we'll, mostly in pain, we'll do brain calming. And um, we might do about 10 sessions. And the feedback could be anything. We often use movies. uh, and what happens is it's a, it's a form of conditioning. So operant conditioning, if you're training your brain and you get positive reinforcement when your brain is in the zone for reducing the high activity in the right side, for example. And so the movie that they're watching, which is the feedback, in the feedback loop that I described before, the movie might become more clear. And if their brain gets fatigued and goes out of the zone or back to the more wired activity, the movie will become foggy. 
they won't see it as well. So the brain learns how to make the movie more clear because the person wants to see the movie. So that's the operant conditioning. And when you reinforce that over time, the brain tends to be more able to hold that training and therefore rewire itself. So yeah, and you we know, show really, the brain how, how to yeah. Do that. So, you know, people come to your office and to my office and you stick a couple of sensors on their head and then they watch movies. That's the treatment, basically. Um, what could be more fun than that? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we see children, we have to explain to the parents, no, they're not just watching a movie with us. <laughs> right. You know, I had one parent. Um, the mom was bringing uh, this her son and the dad was a physician, and she didn't think he'd approve of it. Um, he had ADHD. She didn't think the dad would approve, so she wasn't telling him. She was mm-hmm. just bringing the kid. And one day the dad came home early for work, and she had to come for an appointment with me. And so she decided to bring him with her and, and confess what she'd been doing. And mm-hmm. the dad sat there and watched his son watch a movie, uh, with sensors on his head, and he accused me of committing fraud, you know, mm-hmm. that I was taking their money and doing television therapy, in quotes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the mom didn't pay any attention to him. She kept bringing uh, the son. And mm-hmm. after a while, the dad was so impressed with um, with the results that he saw that he was telling the mom, let's invite this family over and tell them about how much neurofeedback helps because it would help their kid who's having the same problem. So, <laughs> right. Well, when you help the family member of the doctor, you're in. You're yeah. In. But, you know, at first he was, you know, what is this nonsense? You're just cheating us out of our money, you know, because well, it looks so benign. And it is benign because it's right, not going to hurt you. If you're, if you're with a, right. a provider who knows what they're doing, it's not going to hurt you because it is possible if someone doesn't know what they're doing, to train the brain in the wrong direction and make things worse. Well, that's where the board certification is so important because, it, you know, it's a it's a gold standard. It's been around for a very long time. So, 57 right. years, I believe. <laughs> Something like that. Long time. Um, yeah, so if people are looking for a provider after listening to this program... Uh, there is a certifying organization, and you can go to their website and look for a provider there, and that's the Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. So the website is bcia.org, uh, bcia.org, and um, you can find providers there. There are uh, providers who are not certified who are good, also, who choose not to go that route. Some of the uh, pioneers in the field never got certified. Uh, there's another organization, ISNR, uh, International Society for Neurofeedback and Research, isnr.org. Um, that's another place that people can look for qualified providers. And if you are seeing somebody, you want to ask them about their credentials and their experience and, you know, what kind of uh, training they've had. So I recently um, had um, a young man come to me. He's about 30. And 12 years ago, 
he was in an accident work where a piece of heavy machinery fell on him and crushed his lower back. And um, he was also trapped there uh, because he was on a floor of the building at work that people didn't usually come to. And so he was trapped under this piece of heavy equipment for a while before anyone found him. And he had to have his back uh, fused. And he has been in terrible pain for 12 years. And I did a few sessions with him of a calming kind of neurofeedback. And he's feeling a lot better. We're both just amazed how quickly with something that was so chronic and obviously so structural has just shifted um, so quickly. So it's it's really amazing uh, what this technology can do. And I think your point is well taken with the, the example about the doctor, that, that patient education is really important in, in this uh using this modality because it seems so simple, but it really is complicated. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, 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 what, the mechanism by which it works, but the result can be so incredible as the case you're, you're talking about this young person. This person is really amazing. It's just life-changing. Yeah, he was just telling me yesterday that... Um... He couldn't get his medication filled. He was taking some pain medication, and so he skipped it, and he felt pretty good anyway. Wow. So, you know, I see people from many different conditions who are on multiple medications, sometimes, you know, 10 or 12 medications, and over time, whatever their disorder, whether it's mental or physical they're able to reduce their medication, not not because, you know, I'm telling them to, but because they don't need it anymore. Right, right. And that's where checking in with the, the clients periodically is, you know, about that is so important because they might not even realize they haven't been using medication. Right. <laughs> I mean, and I carried my medication around for three years before I would let it go, but I didn't use it. Yeah, your rescue medication? Yeah, Furacet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this technology, biofeedback and neurofeedback, it, it can also be useful for a lot of other things that um, co-occur with chronic pain, like anxiety and depression and insomnia. Um, oh, insomnia is a very big one, yes. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, a lot of times pain keeps people awake. But sometimes, you know, a busy mind also keeps people awake. And learning to calm the mind, um, you know, having enough sleep is really important if you want to heal from from any condition, uh, especially chronic pain. And that's a question that many physicians don't remember to ask clients and patients. You know, do you sleep at night? Do you eat breakfast? Do you drink enough water? Like, not even as a nutritionist, but as a lifestyle, because those are are um, things that your brain needs to function for you optimally. So um, do you tend to um, refer out for other kinds of therapies while you're working with people with biofeedback for pain? Do you refer them out for physical interventions at the same time? Yeah, it depends on the case. You know, some people definitely need nutritional support, so I wouldn't refer to a nutritionist. Or, you know, physical therapy, um, occupational therapy sometimes, 
as I said, we, we would do counseling for many of them as well. Um, also, we tell them they have to have fun. They have to yeah, plan things fun. that are fun, even <laughs> if they don't want to. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's real, it is really important to um, not have your whole life be about pain and to plan things that get your mind off of it and, um, you know, allow you to relax and realize that there's, there's more to life than focusing on your pain. But, you know, fortunately, it's not just about that when you're doing biofeedback. It's also about you get better. You just get better. Um, I, you know, I haven't seen anybody who hasn't had improvement with biofeedback. And sometimes, you know, it takes a while. Uh, but usually the longer they do it, um, the better they feel. Well, and I, I think along those lines, very important, Cindy, is that they they sometimes say, I want to try biofeedback. And as they say in Star Wars, we do not try. We do. And I right. tell them, if you come <laughs> if you come to, you know, you're, you're a warrior. If you come two or three times, you can say you tried and failed like everything else. But if you make a commitment and do a 10-session protocol, then you really did it, and you will learn something. You may not be cured, but you may feel better. You may learn something. You may continue. You may opt not to, but you really made that commitment then. So I very rarely will take anyone unless I sense that they are going to give it a good good commitment because I don't like to fail either. <laughs> right. And, you know, especially with neurofeedback. And they have a much better chance of succeeding. And as a team collaborating with me, if they do make that commitment, and they do this learning because it is learning. Right, right. Yeah, I think that if people, you know, come but they don't come long enough, you know, they may just be wasting their money. You do need a commitment. Right. So, Susan, would you tell people how um, they can reach you if um, if they want to follow up with you and, and um, find out more, schedule a session? Thank you. Um, we have a couple of websites. The main one I would recommend, which has a lot of detailed information, is NewYorkBioFeedback.com, NYBioFeedback.com. And our other site is NetworkBioFeedbackServices.com. And we, you, can, um, you can make appointments that way. You can call and ask questions, email us. Um, we have three offices on Long Island and one in Manhattan right now. So uh, where's your office on Long Island? We have our main office is in Lindbrook, and we have um, another office in Garden City and a satellite office with a doctor um, in Babylon. And our Manhattan office is in the Flatiron District on Broadway and West 25th Street. Great. So people can look you up online, and I'll just give everyone my contact information. Uh, my um, clinical website for my clinical work is peakmindbody.com. That's P-E-A-K, mindbody.com. And I'm located in Albany, New York. Uh, and you can find all my uh, contact information, more information about my practice there. And I would really like everybody to go to my new website, which is paintreatmentdirectory.com. And that's an alternative pain treatment provider directory. Uh, you can find articles, 
You can find providers. You can find products of all kinds that help with chronic pain, uh, including you can find Susan on that website, and you can find me on that website and other biofeedback practitioners, acupuncturists, physical therapists, other kinds of mind-body practitioners. So uh, check it out, paintreatmentdirectory.com. And also um, check out my book, which is an overview of everything out there that treats chronic pain. It's called The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free. And you can find that book on Amazon and um, order it at your local bookstore. So any last words, Susan? It really has been a pleasure to speak with you today, Cindy, and to to be able to share this information with uh, your audience. And I hope that people will consider it and will tell other people about it. And this is very good work. Um, one of my missions is to train as many young people as I can to do this so that it continues, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that if there are any practitioners out there um, who are interested in exploring uh, biofeedback um, as as a therapy that they offer, um, I would really like to hear from you, and I think Susan would too. We would uh, be glad to direct you to training because we could use more practitioners. Uh, many of us in the field are aging out, <laughs> and we... Uh, we would like to see it not die and and expand. And I think there are a lot of people in the field like us um, who came to biofeedback as therapists because of our own experience. And um, it's a pretty powerful thing. So, yes, it is. Yeah, and it's really fueled my passion for educating people. That's why I wrote my book and set up my website, and I'm on the radio uh, just telling people you don't have to depend on medication, which doesn't solve the problem and may cause a lot of negative side effects. There are safe, effective treatments for chronic pain and any other medical condition that you might encounter. And, um, you know, don't just go to your doctor and figure they know what they're talking about because too much of the time they don't. Oh, you so, we can have a new thing. Ask your doctor about biofeedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have those commercials. Ask your doctor about biofeedback instead of ask your doctor about this pill that we've just given you 50 side effects that you wouldn't want. Um, so, um, yeah, so um, Nisi will be back next week. And um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. And thank you again, Susan, for, for being on the show with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure.